Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 275 of the Fun with Cars, Formula One, and other motorsports podcast, or episode 9 of 2021. I'm Robin Warner, and today I'm joined by the man that hopefully got some sleep since the last time we spoke, Jonathan Gitlin. Hey, John. Hello. Hi, Robin. I did get some sleep. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. It is Friday afternoon, March 5th, and we are going to talk about the upcoming 12 Hours of Sebring, some other endurance racing news, and later on, I interview BMW factory driver and an old friend of mine, John Edwards. Okay, Jonathan Gitlin, how are you doing, sir? I got I to gotta keep the John straight since I've been interviewing John as well. That's right. It's just John's everywhere. <laughs> I, I could make a red light district joke here, but I probably won't. Yeah, uh, I'm good. Thanks. How are you? Have you been well? I, I have been well. Uh, Chris Roche and I have been discussing Formula One. We had a nice episode about uh, Lewis Hamilton's contract with Rob Holland. And uh, there's been a lot of interesting Formula One stuff going on. But there has. There was a great interview with Zach Brown in this month's issue of Motorsport. Oh. Where he talks about some of his ideas for Formula One, which I happen to agree with. I would That's worth tracking down. I, I would not be surprised if... Zach wanted to supersize something about Formula One. Actually, uh, his, his idea, well, he thinks that we should have, that there should be independent en- engine builders, you know, like Ilmore or Cosworth should be able to build an engine that's competitive. Um, so you don't need manufacturer teams. Well, uh, doesn't Mercedes F- own Ilmore though? I mean, your, your point uh, is, your point is fine, but I think Ilmore in of itself would be a bad example because I think Mercedes effectively owns them. Tell Zach, not my. That's what he he he, he said. Ilmore and Cosworth. So ah, that's, okay. that's a Zach Brown thing. Um, I'm not going to defend his, his argument. Understood. <laughs> but I think it's a good argument. Um, but he also says that F1 shouldn't be road relevant and they should just make racing cars, which I agree with too. Because sports cars. How do you like that for a segue? Because sports cars are road relevant. Hey, I do do dig that. Well, sometime and sometime indeed sometime soon, I want you on the show for a Formula One focused. Uh, episode, but that is not today because the 12 Hours of Sebring is a big marquee event of IMSA, and there's some pretty big endurance racing news coming on. Plus, there's a lot of really positive momentum in endurance racing that we really need to talk about, which includes Porsche and Ferrari. So uh, there's much to discuss. I think the big news for the last week has been has revolved around boot cut versus uh, cuffed ankles. yes yes always got to follow the fashion trends as an as as an american are you are you a boot cut man because i have to say a race suit just looks terrible with a boot cut i I, can't do it it looks bad i like boot cut jeans yeah but no not jeans we're talking about nomex here yeah yeah yeah. but nomex no i want it to i want it to fit around i don't i I don't understand why would you want space for things to get hot no you want the nomex to protect you they look like rednecks. Uh, wow. <laughs> well, uh, is, is this something that was um, put on by uh, Ricky Taylor's younger brother? No, no, no it's, a, no. it's a Jimmy Johnson thing. Jordan Taylor. Jesus, I can't. Oh. No, it's, it's not a Jordan Taylor. It's a Jimmy Johnson thing because he showed up in the Ally race suit and he's got boot cut. Um, aye, and aye, then aye, aye, aye. Simon Pagano, obviously, has he, he went for like a proper you know racing driver cut. So that's a Californian and a Frenchman. (laughs) But it's been a big thing. It's been a big thing on Twitter, um, particularly with NASCAR, because obviously, you know, and then a bunch of NASCAR drivers got in on the debate. And 
All right. Well, let's let's go to anyway. the second biggest racing okay. topic. Then, <laughs> um, actually, I do. So, there's a lot of positive news to talk about, but I actually uh, do want to start with kind of the bad news. Um, uh, we mentioned it in our earlier podcast, but uh, GT Le Mans is no more after 2021. It is going away and going to be replaced by a GT Pro category. And uh, I want to know what you think about that. It's going to happen. I'd rather we still had OEMs building GTE slash GTLM cars, but they're not in the category. You know, it's uh, it got too expensive. The cars maybe got too specialized. Um, I think the OEMs could see that you know if you have a cust- if you have a GT3 car and you have a customer program, you can sell them. Um, that's kind of easier to justify. Uh, I'm still curious to see how it shakes up with GM. Um, it sounds like they haven't decided whether or not to do a GT Pro and a DPR or LMDH. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So do two programs, stay with Cadillac and Corvette, or you know maybe one of them goes away. The end of an era, I suppose. Yeah, and it is one of those things. But I agree with you uh, on on the principle of it. But in terms of the practical nature of it, okay, the GT3 cars are... They're cool cars in mm-hmm. their own right. Yep. You're right. They, they're they not race special. Well. And exactly. They race well. They race close. And you're still going to have two different classes in the same car. So that'll be the chance for the pros to stand out perhaps a little bit more. And the dentist to cause accidents. <laughs> or, the, or that. Well, we don't, don't forget we have LMP3s as well. True. And the fact that it's also... And, and, and at Daytona, it was professional drivers in GT... LM cars crashing into amateurs driving LMP3s. So <laughs> the only constant was it was a Ferrari dive bombing a, a prototype. Right. Well, you know, I mean, I didn't say which one was better. I just said there's two variations. Right. True. But uh, I think that there, the uh, adding more homogeneity to racing is for the good because if you give more opportunities to race similar equipment around the world without huge expense, that to me allows ultimately for richer racing. Mm-hmm. Do you see what I'm saying? I mean, so yeah. oh yeah, yeah. I, it's absolutely. kind of a greater good argument, I suppose. I, it's, I, I think it's the same reason why LMP2 has has done really well, um, and why I think LMDH will hopefully succeed. But I, but certainly it's why LMP2. Actually, no, LMDH is relevant there, but it's why LMP2 has succeeded because a, a privateer team can buy a car, and there's lots of places you can run it. Um, mm-hmm. Yep. Which I think for the, you know, the, the economics of the sport, you know, with the exception of factory teams, but, you know, most of it is, is privateers and gentlemen drivers. You know, and the, the, the economic reality is, you know, the, if you're some rich dude who's going to pay however many hundreds of thousands of dollars it is to run a campaign in a year, you know, you want to be able to presumably take it to different tracks everywhere. Um, with GT3, you can do that at like Bathurst and Spa and uh, Nürburgring and everywhere. Yep, that's exactly right. And, you know, we're also, just in terms of practical, I mean, what we, were, we were down to the BMW car and the Corvette car, and then Ferrari kind of came in for the big events last minute, and then uh, privateers in WeatherTech brought on uh, the 911 RSR, their yep. car. So, so we ended up having four manufacturers at the last minute at the 24 Hours of Daytona. But uh, I think Ferrari was just Daytona, or, or no, Ferrari's just the marquee events, and Porsche, I think, might have just been Daytona. 
So that uh, category was on life support already. It's not as bad. I mean, it, I remember the ALMS in 2008 when GT2, oh no, GT1 was dying at that point. Mm. Um, and for a year, that category was two Corvettes racing each other. There was no other competition. And actually, there were still some pretty good races. Um, <laughs> we were at Mid-Ohio when they were banging into each other in the pit lane on the way out. Yeah. I mean, it's not ideal, but I mean, you only need two cars to have a race. So Yeah. And, and at the same seven. time, in GT3, you have, you have Lexus, you have uh, Porsche, you have Ferrari, you have Aston Martin, you have uh, one make after another, after another, after. I mean, you just have, obviously, you have BMW, you have Mercedes, you have so many different categories uh, of different drivers, Audi, McLaren, Lamborghini. Uh, do you see what I'm saying? That just mm-hmm. the, the depth uh, of the manufacturers is quite great. So I think there's, while the cars themselves aren't as specialized and aren't as cool, I think there's opportunities for us to have really rich and diverse racing as a result. Yep. And if GT3 has kind of gained a monopoly on that level of racing, that's also a chance for it to expand a little bit potentially in terms of making the cars a little better, like finding uh, economically efficient ways of making those cars better. I'm curious, uh, really the curious thing I'm waiting to see answered is what Le Mans going to do because or what the ACO will do because mm-hmm. um you know it's IMSA's, it's easy for IMSA to move to GT3 I think the ACO has already said in the past they didn't want to do that but they're going to have to come up with something unless they have two prototype classes which I mean that'd be neat be different it'd be different I I really have a hard time I mean Le Mans is going to have to concede it's a big big world event but they're not that big I mean obviously that's what we're going to talk about next you know, the Le Mans top category is going away, and it's LMDH that is going to be the dominant player well, uh, in 2023. Uh, well, so there's LMH and LMDH. And right. This is going to get so confusing. Um, well, so whatever. For, you you come from the land of cricket. This guy, it has to be easy for you. So Ferrari just announced that they are going to enter an LMH, which is the Le Mans hypercar. Oh, they're LMH, not DH. Nope, LMH, which is ah. the same as Peugeot and um, Toyota. Toyota. Actually, yeah. we don't know about Peugeot, sorry. It's the same as Toyota. It's the same as Glickenhaus. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the reasons that I think they said they liked that one was because it wasn't cost-capped and they had more freedom with the chassis. And Ferrari has a whole bunch of people at, the, at their factory that they need to, uh, you know, stuff that they need activities for. Because with the F1 cost-cap, um, you know, you now can't, there's a lot of stuff that, you know, a lot of people and a lot of resources ah, they have that they can't use. So, you know, what are we going to do with all these? We can either fire 30% of the factory and, you know, shut down a whole bunch of stuff, which would not be ideal. Um, or let's go to Le Mans. So they were also considering a, an IndyCar, I guess, but um, this makes more sense, which should be good. So, yeah, so there's LMH, which I think is 20... 23. Oh, LMH, LMH 2022. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, apologies. Yes. And, but then LMDH starts the following year. Yes. Yeah. And that's the one where that's DPI 2.0. They, you know, it's the same four LMP2 chassis. Um, or the, the, the spines, they call them now, I think. And, you know, your manufacturers can choose their own engines. The advantage there is that that's cost capped. That's the one that uh, Porsche and Audi have committed to. Yep. And, uh, uh, and as well as... Uh, oh, Acura. Acura said they're doing it. Um, Acura and, I mean, presumably GM in some form. 
that that would be likely. I also expect Hyundai is going to show up before too long, or one of the Korean brands. I'm pretty sure Hyundai will, will do it. Peugeot might come in with LMH. I know they were originally, or sorry, LMDH. I think they're still deciding which one. But with the merger, the, now that Stellantis merger's happened, um, I think the new boss is a bit of a racing fan. Yeah, um, and Stellantis, for those that don't know, is the new name of what was Fiat Chrysler, of what was Cerberus, of what was uh, Domino Mercedes. Uh, yeah, it, it's had many names in over the years, but it's the Chrysler Chrysler brand here in the U.S. McLaren's thinking about it, but they say they wouldn't enter until 2024. I think they're going to they might make a decision later this year. Mm. Um, so I mean, Zach that, you know, Brown that, is that's... trying to get them to supersize it. See, this is what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, you know, I mean, the prospects of that are amazing because you're going to have. Um, I I don't know how long it'll last because only one you know only one OEM's going to win the race. Um, and if you have seven or eight OEMs and they're all trying to get a win and, you know, each year only one of them can do that, at some point history tells us that they get bored and walk away. Um, and as, But if they can keep the costs from escalating uh, and they can keep, you know, even if it's just five manufacturers a year. But I mean, the, the prospect That would still of, be mega. Exactly. Would, but the prospect yeah. of like eight or nine is, is amazing. Uh, um, absolutely. But, and, and, but think about that. What is it? Uh, you know, five or six of those eight are LMDH cars. Mm-hmm. And, and so the one question that, you know, everyone's been, been wondering, well, will the, you know, how, how will the balance performance between the two categories work? Exactly. Um, yeah. It's a big question. Again, something, something that, that Zach Brown said in this interview, I keep going back to it, but it was, uh, like I said, it was, it, it was full of intelligent comments. Uh, we should have him on this podcast. You should have him on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm sure he's not busy. Anyway. I'll, I'll ring his cell after we're done. He, uh, so the point that he made when in with respect for why McLaren was considering LMDH and why he thinks that balance of performance will be fair is that are Porsche and Audi both going to commit to entering that and then going to Le Mans with no chance of winning? They're not, you know. They're going right. to make sure that if they enter, you know, if Porsche and Audi both turn up with two or three car teams at Le Mans in 2023 – they're going to want to know they're in with a chance for, for a win, right? They're not going to do it if they're any, you know, if they have to come Absolutely. first in class. Absolutely. So, and Acura as well. I mean, mm-hmm. Acura, it's it certainly, none of the manufacturers, and that's the point of getting it, none of the manufacturers are getting, uh, are here for a participation trophy. Acura would have to, will have to run as, well, would want to run as Honda, I think, in France. Because it's a, and we ha- we've had this conversation, I think you were there when we spoke to um, John Ikeda and Acura. And he always mm-hmm. makes the point that it's an American brand. And so why, you know, an American brand. Well, American I, even, brand, I think he, he doesn't even want to says spend, it's a North American brand. That's what I mean by American. I don't care <laughs> Canada or any of the rest of it. It's well, just, well, Canada just the is US. part of North America. Oh, dear. I know, so, but <laughs> it doesn't count. It doesn't count. I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> you don't know what's a boot. Don't worry, Canada is still part of your commonwealth, sir. I have uh, cousins who live in Canada. I have lots of cousins who live in Canada. But anyway, I'm just being mean. <laughs> well, anyway, Canada is great. I absolutely love Canada and I love poutine. But Oh, speaking of Canada, uh, unfortunately, they will not have an IMSA race this year. Oh, they're canceling the Canadian Tire event? It, because, of, because of COVID. So they're not going to be able to cross the border. Well, there it is. I mean, so... That is, there is a little bit more bad news to talk about as well. This is as good as a segue as any. Mazda will also not be a part of this because Mazda has decided they're leaving uh, DPI at the end of the season. And it's so frustrating because they had just finally cracked 
through the uh, through the barrier and had had a race winning car, and and they were very competitive in Daytona too. So and then they, they just decided to pull out. Yeah, I the I think the writing was on the wall when they went to a one car team this year. Um, you know, they they had two obviously they had two cars the year before, but they halved the budget. Evidently, there's no appetite to develop an LMDH car yet. I wonder why. It is it is a bit sad, but. Um, it's such a shame because they had, you know, they had Team Yost, they had first well, Yost, drivers. They did, they had Yost for a while, but that that actually that partnership did not end terribly well. Um, oh, did it end? I thought that I thought there was this Yost, weird. I know Multimatic played a. Uh, Yost, a Yost ran at them in in most of 2019, um, and then I think in, by 2020, Multimatic had taken over the program and was running it all themselves. Oh, okay. I didn't know Yost was out entirely. I knew Multimatic took a bigger role, but I didn't know they took over entirely. The Yost partnership did not did not end did not kind of turn out the way everyone expected it was going to. It wasn't like a, um, but now it's so. So Lena Gade is the crew chief or chief engineer for the Mazda now because just one car, um, and obviously she had worked. You know, she was had worked with Yost or maybe I don't know if she was directly employed by them, but you know, back in the Audi Sport days. So I think um, there's probably some crossover personnel um but yeah the the germans are not doing it anymore um and the multimatic people i believe um want to carry on i mean you know they they are hap- will happily build an lmdh car for another oem um just needs to, you know it's a question of who, who turns up and says hey you know put our and, name well and let multimatic, us multimatic is a canadian company so it canada is, yes. would still be involved it would oh, oh canada oh canada so Part of what all this craziness going on... I'd just like to say I love Canada, actually. Uh, people might think I'm being mean about it, but my long-term plan is to move to Vancouver. So, yay, okay. Canada. There you go. So, uh, good. So, one thing that's going on is uh, not just what we'll be racing in the future, but when we'll be racing in the present. Mm-hmm. And that's been changing around because recently uh, France uh, announced uh, the ACO that uh, the 24 Hours of Le Mans will be taking place in August, not June. Yep. And that has caused IMSA to shift some things around. So now IMSA will be racing its finale again in November. Uh, The difference being is this time it will be uh, Road Atlanta in November. Mm -hmm. It will be Petit Le Mans, which is the traditional season ender. But that's been moved back a month. And the Virginia International Raceway event... Um, which is, was scheduled to be in August, the same weekend that Le Mans now is, that's being pushed to October. Yes. Yeah, VIR uh, moves back to the date that would be um, Petit Le Mans, and then Petit Le Mans moves back. And, I, and, you know, if you ask, I wouldn't be surprised if we see some more calendar changes this year just because of COVID. I think um, 2020 showed that things things often go wrong when you don't expect them that's entirely I think, right. I think people. I think people are going to, you know, like I say, obviously the Canada race is not happening. Um, have to see if uh, happens in the rest of the country. Fingers crossed, we get all the races. But um, yeah, well, I'll cross my fingers. You hold your breath. I, I think <laughs> that uh, it's going to be interesting to see because uh, you you make a very important point about COVID. Because yes, vaccines are coming and those types of things. But some states, and these are southern states have lifted a lot of uh, regulations trying to control uh, the pandemic. They sure have. And they've lifted it quite early, quite aggressively. And we're still at really high rates of uh, people contracting disease. So it feels, it's, it's feels worrying. nerve-wracking. 
It sure does. Yeah. But I guess that's what happens when a virus elects a governor. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Well, um, oh, I, was how COVID has affected his job something you discussed with, with John Edwards? Uh, you know, it, it certainly it certainly came up, but no, I think that uh, we largely just talked about because we talked about how the schedule was changing and how that BMW drivers were only doing the four big endurance races this year. Mm -hmm. So 24 hours at Le Mans, 12 hours at Sebring, six hours at Watkins Glen, and then Petit Le Mans. And so we talked about that and we talked about his time off in the car and things like that. But uh, so it was indirectly discussed. If not directly, but again, you're providing wonderful segues. Let's go to my interview with BMW factory driver, John Edwards. John Edwards, BMW factory driver. It is very good to have you on. Thank you for taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having me. The 12 hours of Sebring is just about two weeks away, uh, less than I suppose. And I'm just curious how you are starting to get mentally prepared and physically prepared for the event. Well, last year was a very bitter finish for uh, both BMWs at Sebring. Um, you know, we actually lucked into a podium somehow at the very end, mostly due to others' problems. But with about two hours to go, we were running second and our sister car was, was running first. And um, and the sister car especially had a lot of pace through that whole race. And I think our car, as the temperatures were cooling off, was getting better and better. So I think we were in a really good spot to come away with a 1-2 there. Um, at a race that BMW hasn't won in, in a long time. So that would have been a huge result and an amazing way to cap off the uh, the end of the year. Um, right, because Sebring so was in November last year because of the pandemic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that was a season finale. So it hasn't been long. Um, and I would say the, the wounds are still fresh because uh, for us, for the, about two hours to go, we had a, a brake failure um, oh, and, uh, and had to change brakes. That's so frustrating. So, uh, yeah. So again, you know, it's a race you normally shouldn't have to change brakes. It's usually right on the limit, you know, for everyone, but um, typically you shouldn't have to change brakes there. And unfortunately we had a, a last minute brake change uh, towards the end of the race and, and that put us back. So we ended up inheriting the podium spot there at the end because the sister car, car got punted out of the lead by a GTD car. So that ended up uh, really, I think, hitting the team hard when, you know, everybody had done such a great job and, you know, Connor was in for the finish and, he had been fast all weekend, and you know I think we we all just expected him to bring it home, and unfortunately something totally out of his control took him out. And you know we we normally should have been there to inherit, you know inherit the lead from as as we were running second earlier in the race, or or you know not that far before the finish. And um, so you know to have have our sort of you know P two go away, and then have the sister car get punted out of the lead was uh, was definitely very better. So. Um, that being said, I think we had good pace last year, um, and then that's why we had a shot at the win. So, I think for Sebring coming up next week, this will be, you know, this is a great, um, a great sign for us because I think we'll we'll have a strong car. Yeah, a chance of redemption of sorts, and for sure. And it, you know, November and March in that leg of Florida, weather's relatively similar probably right yeah it it is and it, it varies a lot you know sometimes we go testing there in february and it's pretty i wouldn't say it's it's never cold but um so you know it's pretty cool for that for that time of year but right typically by the time we get there for the race it's pretty hot and the race last year in november was uh was actually very hot so i think it'll be it'll be pretty warm and you know that's that's the interesting thing about sebring is the you know peak temperatures 
in the afternoon, you go through the bulk of the race at those high temperatures and then the nighttime comes and, and, you know, it's really crunch time there at the finish at night and the car can be completely different. So, uh, we really struggled with our cars that got hot last year. And then as the temperatures were coming down, the car was getting slightly better, but that's the, the trade-off that Sebring is trying to get your car comfortable for the hot, but keep it fast at the, at the finish when it's nighttime and cooling off. Right. Right. And I, I bet it gets easier for the engine, uh, to deal with the cooler temperatures. It likes the cooler weather. Um, but then you have to make sure that your tire temps are in the right place. And that would affect like how you set your camber and your caster and things like that. Well, I think the, I think the big thing for me is just, um, you know, from a driver's perspective, you know, it's obviously difficult to deal with the heat through an endurance race when you have to uh, push yourself and sweat uh, and lose five pounds in a stint and then get out and you have to be back, you know, back in the car in four or five hours. And you basically have um, to gain those five pounds back <laughs> when yeah, you're out you of the car, you try to, right? but you never, you're, you're always in a, in a race like that when it's really hot. Uh, you're always going to be at a deficit, but yeah, you try to, you try to gain that back because it's all, it's all liquids, right? It's all hydration that you're losing. So you try to gain that back as much as you can, but it's tough for us. That's hard in the middle of the race. Um, in terms of setup and things, it's, uh, you know, typically a little more unpredictable in the heat just cause you don't have so you just lose grip of the tire on the surface. So, sure. um, and tire wear anyway, too can be a little unpredictable. Yeah, so it affects it. tire wear a lot. It affects, uh, generally just affects balance and makes the car a little more, unpredictable and unstable sometimes um, if you don't have have that security in the setup so um, that being said if you have a really stable car in those hot conditions sometimes you pick up a little too much understeer when it gets colder so right the balance sure. just kind of shifts around with those uh with those heat changes and at the same time a lot of rubber is going down so there's always going to be a balance shift across 12 hours um, sure, it's just sure, rubber sure. going down so so you never know you know you, you can set up your car and have a general idea of what it's going to do but uh, sometimes it, it'll change uh, right in the last two hours there. So, um, so that becomes difficult, but I think for me, you know, it's, it's more of an issue places like Daytona in the middle of the night or road Atlanta in the middle of the night, because those places are colder when the sun goes down, uh-huh. uh, than it, than it gets at Sebring. Well, and blacktop and, uh, asphalt has a bigger change in track temperature than the concrete at Sebring would too. Yeah. And so, so for me, you know, the outlaps at Daytona, and, uh, and at the end of the race at Petit, so Daytona nighttime, you know, middle of the race and then end of the race at Petit, those are the, the times that outlaps can be really sketchy and you see people make a lot of mistakes. Um, and you see people, you know, gain big gaps because they took the risk and pushed, but you uh, see yeah. a same number, similar number of people going off or making mistakes or getting lockups and, uh, and, and ending the race potentially. Right. Sure. Sure. Yeah. In terms of your personal hydration, have you considered not being so freaking tall? Like maybe, maybe if you weren't like six eleven or whatever you are, you wouldn't lose so much hydration. Have you considered that? I mean, why did you choose to be so tall in the first place, John? Hey, you know, I, I started racing uh, cars when I was young and, and my dad used to joke, he was going to feed me some, some pills to make me grow faster. And then all of a sudden I, I shot up and was growing more and he started joking that, you know, maybe it's time to uh, to go the other way and put books on my head and, you know, maybe stand with a pile <laughs> right. of books on my head so it stopped growing. Well, um, when we raced each other. A, uh, race car, race when, car driver build, for sure. That's right. I mean, you know, if there was like a race car driver basketball duathlon in the Olympics or yeah, something, you would be, be great. Be great. 
you know, yeah, when, when we raced each other, I was always taller, but, uh, you know, I'm, I only raced you until you were 13. So, <laughs> yeah, well, I, right after, right after we raced, I went to, uh, I guess the year after that, uh, was when I won the Red Bull scholarship and went to Europe and, and my mom and I always talk about that. When we moved to Italy, I was probably two inches shorter than my mom. And by the time we came came back to the u.s i was a good six inches or eight inches taller <laughs> <laughs> well so it's so there we go we've narrowed it down it's it's the italian food <laughs> yeah yeah too much pasta and i just grew <laughs> way too fast but yeah well, fortunately i've been uh, fortunately i've been been lucky to keep my uh, keep my rides despite being a lot taller than my teammates and even when i have tall teammates i'm always a lot taller in the torso so getting the right seat to compromise is tough um, well, I imagine a lot, of, a lot of people my height have long legs and I just have a really long torso. Right. And that's, I was just going to say, I imagine that that helps in some ways, like, cause you don't necessarily have your knees banging against the steering wheel, but then, yeah, then there's, you want the seat, butt to be absolutely as low as possible. And that might, hurt, yeah. that might hurt your teammates. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, I've had guys that are exactly my height sit in my seat and so they can't see over the steering wheel. Yeah. 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 So because my torso is just so much longer. So we'll work on improving your shape. Um, in terms of the, <laughs> in terms of the car shape, I mean, you you race um, a GTLM prepped BMW M8, which is uh, it's a big big car, and I I know that it's got a strong motor, and you guys have done a lot of really cool stuff to make it handle well as well. But I gotta think that that car struggles in tighter corners and Sebring's generally a fast place, but I'm thinking of like the hairpin at turn seven or maybe the right hander turn 10. I mean, is that car weak there or is it strong everywhere? And I mean, where is it strong? Where is it weak? Yeah. I mean, I hate to say that, that, that it has, you know, a huge weakness because ultimately designing a GT car is about compromise. I would say, yes, we have a big car and yes, Places like, say, Long Beach or Lime Rock with uh, some tight corners and a narrow track, uh, it maybe isn't ideal for our car. But somewhere like Sebring has enough compromises where, or, or enough, uh, enough of a mix of corners where, you know, the things our car does very well really can shine. So, you know, we do well in high-speed corners. And so, you know, and, and as you said, we do have a, a strong motor in the car. So we do well in you know, turn 15, turn 16, turn 17, turn one, you know, to an extent, uh, even turn 13 is kind of medium speed. And so it's really only when you get to the hairpins and the second gear corners that, that we lose a bit, but we're, we're trying to make a lap time, right? So we, we lose a bit in those slower corners and gain in the high speed. So, uh, that's why we're so good at places like road Atlanta, which has a lot of high speed corners. Uh Um, we've always been good in the bus stop at Daytona, which is by far the quickest corner on the track. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, so, aside from the banks. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's not much of a corner. That's, we consider that a straight. Right, right, right. But, um, but yeah, so those, so those are the places the car really shines and yes, we lose some time in the slower speed to some of the other cars, but, um, I think, you know, ultimately we, we showed last year that we had pace over the lap at Sebring. And I mean, the, the reason is just to nerd out for a quick second. I mean, you just inherently, you have more wheelbase than uh, other cars out there. So you you have to take a tighter corner than the other cars do by a little bit. And, and that makes it harder. Yeah. But what that also provides is some more stability in high-speed corners. Um, you know, gives us a little more room to work with aero stuff. Exactly uh, right. despite being a GT car, you, we actually have a reasonable amount of aero. So that's why we do well in 
you know, in higher speed corners. Yeah. And that's exactly right, John. I, I certainly don't mean to diminish that part of it. And it, it's, you've proven, I mean, you were on the podium of Daytona this year, you won the race and got a nice shiny Rolex the year before. <laughs> um, so you've proven the car to be capable. It's just kind of dealing with those, you know, larger than average race car problems. Right. So um, yeah, I, I really sure. appreciate hearing your insight. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's interesting because a lot of people, you know, a lot of people get focused on single race BOP, you know, and saying one car is way better than the other in one track. But that's sort of the, you know, the, the fight we have through the year is trying to make something that's going to work more often than not. Um, and that means sometimes we go to places and uh, and we know we're not going to have the fastest car and we have to get through that weekend and get the most points we can. And then when we go to the tracks that are going to suit our car, we have to win that race. Yep. And that's the, yep. you know, that's always the trade-off. So um, that's just the, the inherent nature of GT racing is that some cars are going to be stronger in, in certain places than others. And Sebring, you know, does have a couple of tight corners as, as we talked about, but it's generally a fast track. And I imagine the M8 is strong there. So I, yeah. I feel that you know, you're Se- pretty Sebring's optimistic. Yeah, Sebring is an interesting one because it does have quite a mix. Um, so as I, as I said, we're fast in kind of that back part of the track and then turn one, you know, and others others will be fast in other parts of the track. And we've seen in the past where, you know, we might have pace at the beginning of the race and somebody's got more pace at the end, you know. But I, I think for us, Sebring's one that, that we have to fight for a little more, you know, even more so than, than average. I think we feel a lot more confident normally going to somewhere like Road Atlanta or Watkins Glen where – it's all pretty much all high speed corners. Um, and we have a, a really good track record there, but oh, I last guess year we went to road Atlanta. You've got 10, a 10 B, but that's not too bad. And then six and seven at road Atlanta, those are banked. So yeah. Well, okay. So seven, seven is the corner that hurts us at road Atlanta. Um, okay. But, but really, you know, we're actually, despite being, you know, despite maybe struggling for slow speed rotation, you're actually pretty good on the brakes. So 10, a 10 B, you know, we'll lose a little time maybe, but, um, we're, we're fairly, we're pretty okay there, but seven's really where we usually lose time at Road Atlanta and then we make up time and, you know, turn one and through the S's. Yeah. Oh, and turn one is a deceptively quick corner. I bet you can gain a fair amount For of time sure. there. Yeah. It's a lot of, it's a, it's a really fun corner. All in, right. In but any car. <laughs> we're, 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 uh, we're, we're nerding we're out here. Oh. <laughs> so you're doing Sebring and you were at the last race, Daytona 24, obviously, but you guys this year are actually only doing the four big enduro races. So that's Daytona, Sebring, I believe Watkins Glen in June, and then Road Atlanta, the Petit Le Mans. How does that feel to only be doing four races this year? Uh, Well, you know, it's interesting because at the same time, you know, due to COVID, they've moved the California swing, which was supposed to happen in the spring, was now moved to the fall. Mm. Um, And this year, GTLM doesn't go to mid-Ohio. So for us, the first three races are the same as the full season races, at least in the GTLM category. So I there's see. other IMSA races happening with Mid-Ohio and Detroit during that time. And obviously they intended to run the California races, but that got shifted. So, um, you know, for me, I'm, I'm pretty happy that, that that's the case. So uh, it doesn't feel like anyone else is getting a big advantage over us when we show up to Watkins Glen. And, you know, it's not like they've been racing for, you know, for the last five events and we've just had to miss it. Okay. Um, so the first three, I feel, you know, I feel, I feel like we're kind of lucky that, uh, the first three races of the full season are all Enduro's series races. 
But that being said, uh, they just announced today that Petit Le Mans has moved to November. Um, so that's an extra month Wow! on top of uh, our break. So from June 27th, our next race won't be till uh, November 13th, I believe. Wow. Um, so that's going to be a big gap. And, you know, we haven't discussed yet. Um, it's kind of out of our control, but ho- hopefully we'll get to go do some testing. I know I'll be all over my simulator in that time, you know, trying to get as much seat time as I can, because that's going to be, aside from last year with uh, with lockdown, that's going to probably be the, the longest time between races that, I'll, that I've had, because our off-seasons are actually pretty short, especially this year. It was only November to January, um, wow. you know, versus us going five months from, from June to uh, November. Yeah, and gosh, that might be your longest gap in racing in your life. I mean, with pandemic I, last I year, last I'm not year sure. was January to July. So that, um, that'll be probably longer, but about the same. Yeah. Cause I think we are mid July from the end of January. So it'll be pretty similar. Well, but you, should, hopefully, uh, you know, again, up. we're, we're not, hopefully won't be locked down and hopefully can get, get out and get some testing and get some seed time and not just be stuck at home the whole time. Cause I know that, uh, that wasn't great last year. It wasn't a great feeling to be out of the car for so long. I mean, you should take up uh, steel life painting or something. <laughs> uh-huh. I'll find ways to I'll find ways to uh, to spend my time. Where Connor and I are both getting addicted to golf. We've let Bruno huh. um, conv- convince us, and um, I wouldn't say I'm proud of my playing yet, but we've started to have a good time. And I'd say uh, I'd say Connor and I living only about three or four miles apart, we'll be able to entertain each other all right. with some golfing during right. that break. Fair enough. And like I said, I'll be all over my simulator in that time too. So, well, it, maybe you'll be doing this on your sim, but what race are you going to miss the most? Well, I have to say that probably my top three we're, we're doing already, um, that being Daytona, Watkins Glen, and Road Atlanta. Um, Watkins Glen is my favorite track in north america i mean that place is insane and i always and i always love road america uh, sorry road atlanta so um i'd I'd say i'll miss uh i'll miss driving most sport and i'll miss the the whole weekend experience at at road america the Uh most okay yeah fair i love i love elkhart lake and i I love going to that town and um on seepkins and the whole experience right I don't, I don't know what you're talking about, Seekins, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the, uh, yeah, yeah, the town, the town of Elkhart Lake just sort of grew up with the racetrack, I feel like. And so everywhere you go is sort of racing themed and, um, the weather there is always amazing. It's, it's a time of year, uh, when it's super hot and, and at home in Charlotte for me. So going up to Wisconsin where the humidity is low and, and it's 75 degrees every day is always really nice. And so I, I always love love getting to go spend time there and on top of the fact that it's an amazing track as well. So that, yeah. that one's probably the one I'll miss the most. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm 100% with you. I, I absolutely love that place. I mean, it seems really simple. You look at the track map, but the details and getting yeah. those details, right. Where the really elevation is it. and exactly. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's a tough place to get right for sure. So you're doing four races this year, but then GTLM is going away altogether after 21 what what does that mean for your future john well you're starting to ask questions that are uh, well above my pay grade at this point um <laughs> i i would say i can only offer my opinion um on, on what's going on and i think uh, you know what i was really pleased to see him send out so early and confirm the ttd pro class because uh-huh. i think that was 
the right direction. I think I think we saw that a lot of people were interested in having pro lineups, whether it was uh, you know some teams with borderline factory support in GTD with you know all pro lineups. It's just that one of them was a super silver, and so you saw you saw some of those people uh, getting very competitive in GTD, and at the same time, you know, with COVID, you see a desire for manufacturers to spend less money, at least in the, in the short term. So. I think that's definitely the right direction. I think GTD Pro will will be a cheaper class for manufacturers, and it'll be an, an accessible class for teams with some level of of, uh, of minor or major factory support that are already in GTD, and and it'll free up all the driver ratings for for that class. So ah, I think it's a great yeah. move. Okay. I think in terms of uh, what it means for me, you know, BMW has an M4 GT3 coming out, so you know, all the pieces are kind of in place, but Again, the uh, the final confirmation of what we're doing next year is definitely not my choice and above my pay grade. So I'd have to direct you uh, to my bosses to to get any more uh, any more details or any more confirmation about it. But from my perspective, I think it's a great a great direction and um, and should be a really strong class next year. But your 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 loyalty is you're you're still you're going to be tied to BMW, and that's still going to be the case. And and you'll go wherever they ask you to go. Well, like anything in racing, you know, there's not, uh, nobody's walking around with 10 year contracts out here. So, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, everything ebbs and flows year, year to year, or maybe every two years. But yeah, I, I, I think I've been really pleased to be with BMW for so long. And, you know, especially with the new car coming out that looks, looks amazing. And everything I've heard from testing sounds really promising. So love to get a chance to hop in that thing and, and, uh, hopefully go back to a full season next year. So let me uh, let me get you on the record here. What do you think of that new M4's uh, kidney grill? <laughs> hey, you know everybody everybody has their own opinion, but uh, so I've I've heard a lot of them. But um, I was stoked when I saw the new race car come out. That thing was a, a really good looking car. In terms of the street car, I used to order all the cool company cars. You know the M6 and M5 and uh, whatever else. But now I'm, I'm, t- I'm about to turn 30 actually in a week. So I'm an SUV guy now. I drive an X5 <laughs> and, uh, you know, I take, I put my golf clubs in the back and, and, uh, and live my life a little more relaxed than, than I used to. So, um, I'll, I'll keep ordering my X5 through the street, but I'm stoked to, uh, I'm stoked to get in the GT3 race car eventually. Well, if you think 30 is a transition, uh, I can't wait to tell you <laughs> about what 40 is like. Uh, <laughs> but uh yeah man uh, happy early birthday thank you again so much for talking to us and i'm going to take this opportunity to suggest to you bmw factory race car driver of my youtube video on the bmw m550i which is a nice in-between suv and you know sports car so look at that nice. shameless promotion i just gave my gave myself i'll check it out <laughs> well Appreciate it. Don Edwards, thank you so much. It's always good to talk to you. Great to catch up, and good luck at Sebring in a couple of weeks. All right. Thanks, Robin. Okay. Yeah, it's always good to talk with Jonathan Edwards. He and I raced each other, uh, but uh, fun fact, he was 13 (laughs) when that was going on, Uh, but that was when I was racing Skip Barber. Uh, But, yeah, John's a good friend and a fantastic driver, and I really appreciate him taking the time to talk. So, um, Jonathan, any other closing statements you have about endurance racing as we uh, get close to the 12 hours of Sebring here? Well, I've been thinking about it. I meant to discuss this last time I was on, 
uh, and maybe this is a bit less relevant now since we're not racing at Daytona. But, uh, oh, actually, no, I have two things, in fact. So the first one is, do you think the fish in Lake Lloyd know when there's a race happening? Uh, this is, every time I go to Daytona, I wonder this, and I've decided I think they probably do. Because I'm pretty sure, like they can, the, the vibrations would make their way into the water. So there's oh, that. Oh yes. Um, and then, then, then the other thing, which I guess is maybe a bit more serious, is: Did you see what they did to the bus stop? And it's their track; they own it. NASCAR's their big series. That's fine. Your track, do what you like with it. It's yours. At the same time, did you see what they did to the bus stop? What did they do to the bus stop? No. You didn't. Oh, this is okay. So you know, NASCAR has been racing on the road course there. Yes. Yeah, they uh, they paved bits of the bus stop so that they could, uh, and then they put in these big sausage curbs. Oh no! Yeah, big yellow ones, and then they paved bits of it too. So there's now instead of going off and you know it gets dirty at five in the morning because people have gone off and there's crap on the track. Now sports cars are just going to straight line it, or maybe launch themselves into space if they hit those curbs wrong. Yeah, uh, you know, well for the latter part, if Elon Musk enters a race team we we know why Ugh, that's such a shame yeah because that that was a classic spot of hey man there's real consequence here yep. and we there's saw cross a, and mud yeah exactly and especially there's uh, there's certainly some not always dry 24 hours of daytona as uh, we know all too well and uh yeah that's a shame that's a real shame mm-hmm. but uh as you say i mean just like I said in an earlier video that I did, you know, of course Ford can call the Maki a Mustang. It can call whatever it wants a Mustang. Mm-hmm. It owns the name. Yep. And, and just as you said, uh, they, you know, they own the track. They can do what they want with it. Doesn't doesn't mean we have to like it though. Exactly. But I mean, you know, truthfully, uh, you know, there was a lot of people upset about uh, Eau Rouge having more runoff paved and things like that uh, in in Belgium in Formula One and also. In, in IMSA, uh, uh, Canadian Motorsports Park, Mosport, Mossport, um, you know, a lot more of that is paved than used to be runoff was, and the consequences don't feel anywhere near uh, severe as they Have were you before. Raced there? Yes. Oh, it's a that fantastic be, place. Is it better? Would you rate it higher than Road America? I would rate it different than Road America. Uh, okay. Road America is kind of a unique beast all on its own, and I absolutely love Road America. It's like America's but, spa. It, that's exactly what it is. You know, it, Road America is full of 90-degree corners, and so on the surface, it seems like nothing. But No, they're all really hard. But they're all really hard, and they're all just a little bit different, and the camber's mm-hmm. different, and getting them just right. And it's so funny you mentioned that, Jack, because, uh, you know, that was one of the great conversations that John and I had. We talked about Road America. So that was something you may have just heard, in fact. <laughs> <laughs> but Mossport is one of the greats. But so is Sebring, and those two are very different from each other, right? So, yep. so it's it they're equally good from for very different reasons. But from like a dynamic, a dynamic point of view, Mossboard is just thrilling because you have your you you have these big launches downhill in really high speed corners, blind entries, yeah. So there's a lot of commitment going on. Um, so when I raced there, I raced uh, Formula Dodge cars, they were called, and they're old. Um, uh, steel tube frame based Formula Fords with mm-hmm. Dodge Neon engines. And the top speed of those cars was 130 miles an hour. The average speed at Mossport for us was 100 miles an hour. Wow, that's that's quick. 
Yeah. So, I mean, you're just, so it's like fourth gear, fifth gear, fourth gear, fifth gear, boom, 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 second gear for the back two hairpins, fourth gear, fifth gear, fourth gear, fifth gear. I mean, it's just nuts. And uh, it was just wonderful. Wonderfully nuts. I haven't been on track in ages. I haven't even been to a track since Daytona last year, I guess. Yeah, that's the exact same for me. Yeah. Oh, I want to go to the races. Well, uh, in, in due time, I, I'd say another two, three to five years tops. <laughs> <laughs> the way DC is rolling out vaccines, probably you're probably right. <laughs> but... Uh, I think that's all we're going to talk about for endurance racing now. Next week, we're going to jump back into Formula One and uh, talk about uh, all the new car launches. and Testing. Uh, if you're doing this next week, they'll have been testing for a week. Exactly right. Yeah. So we're, we're getting into the meat of it. So, But for now, I want to thank you for listening. Please take a moment, moment. Oh, my gosh. Please take a moment to review us on iTunes or on whatever platform you get our podcast. Please leave comments on the episode of your choice by going to funwithcars.com. As always, I can be reached at feedback at funwithcars.com. Tweet us at fun underscore with underscore cars. And check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash fwcars. John, always great to talk to you. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. I'm Robin Warner. Goodbye. Jonathan Gettin. Bye.